KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of the Feet to Fire campaign and protest on Wednesday, January 15th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Multnomah County Courthouse in Portland. The Feet to Fire campaign is part of a national campaign started by Protect Our Stolen Treasures out of Detroit. This peaceful protest happens every month outside of a different county courthouse and calls for justice for those lost to police violence and hate crimes, particularly those who were in a mental health crisis when they were killed by police. Again, that's Feet to the Fire campaign and protest on Wednesday, January 15th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Multnomah County Courthouse, 1021 Southwest 4th Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. Please, Mr. Redman, don't put me out in the street. The Community Alliance of Tenants is working to increase awareness in Washington County of the statewide law SB 608 that was passed in early 2019. It limits rent increases and no-cause terminations for residential leases. There is a temporary bilingual English and Spanish hotline set up for Washington County renters with questions about SB 608 rent increases, no-cause termination notices, and or lease non-renewal notices. Phone number is 503-644-3007. Again, that's the Renner's Right hotline phone number for Washington County every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. through January 30th at 503-644-3007. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. I'm right in the middle of solving that riddle known as raising the rent.
So it goes on and on. to come back I knew that it'd be just like that every day and every night cruising around just like a kite sitting on an airplane and all the clouds just look the same
just go where the night is Don't care what the wrong or the right is Don't care if we ain't invited We just go where the night is We just go where the night is Don't care what the wrong or the right is Don't care if we ain't invited We just go where the night is We just go where the night is Don't care what the wrong or the right is Don't care if we ain't invited We just go where the night is We just go where the night is Don't care what the wrong or the right is Don't care if we ain't invited We just go where the night is
Ramakrishna. Devotee says, what are the means by which one can see God? Ramakrishna says, can you weep for God with intense longing of heart? Men shed a jug full of tears for the sake of their children, for their wives, or for money. Women weep for their husbands, but who weeps for God? So long as the child remains engrossed with its toys, the mother looks after her cooking and her household duties. But when the child no longer relishes the toys, it throws them aside and yells for its mother. Then the mother takes the rice pot down from the hearth, runs in haste, and takes the child in her arms. See, the situation is that the living spirit, the beloved, that which you could love as a vehicle for merging, is always right here. It is merely your mind that prevents you from acknowledging its existence. And the minute you either quiet your mind or take your heart and open it out so intensely that it draws your mind along with it, only then do you rend the veil and do you see the beloved. And then you are like Sri Radha, and you see through the veils, and you see that it's not Malati, and it's not Pushpamvati, and it's not the mother, and it's not the daughter, and it is not you, and it's not your friend, and it's not your employer, and it's not your wife, and it's not your child or your husband. It's always, ah, oh, there you are. To hear that, however, see, I've talked in the past about seeing God with your eyes, like looking, and you look at a person and you first react with your body to their bodies, and it either turns you on or turns you off or does something. And you can either get stuck in that and buy into that, and that's the only reality, or you can say, well, that's interesting, have tea, relax, I'm going on. And then you might experience it, the other being psychologically and say, I like you, we are good together, what fun, etc. And you go through that one. And then you might see another soul and you keep going and going and going until you are looking into the eyes of God. You are looking at yourself, looking at yourself in the last possible segment of dualism before there's nothing to look at and nobody to look. At which point the two become one and dualism ends and then you come back into the two again. I've talked about using the eyes. But listening is with all of your senses, and it's so subtle, it is so subtle to hear through the veils, because you have to quiet down enough to listen. Listening is an art that comes from a quiet mind and an open heart, not a gushy emotional heart, just an open heart, open to the universe of forms, listening, just listening, like Milarepa is listening. Not just listening with the air, ear, ear, listening with being. Your being becomes the instrument of listening. I want to read you a, um, a very beautiful short passage from a book by a doctor. His name is Seltzer, and the book is called Mortal Lessons. It's published by Simon & Schuster. On the bulletin board in the front hall of the hospital where I work, there appeared an announcement. Yeshi Dondon, it read, will make rounds at 6 o'clock on the morning of June 10th. The particulars were then given, followed by a notation. Yeshi Dandan is personal physician to the Dalai Lama. I am not so leathery a skeptic that I would knowingly ignore an emissary from the gods. <laughs> gods. Not only might such sang froid be inimical to one's earthly well-being, it could take care of eternity as well. You all hearing this all right? If you are, why didn't you laugh? That was funny. Thus, on the morning of June 10, I joined the church of the clutch of white coats waiting in the small conference room adjacent to the ward selected for the rounds. 
The air in the room is heavy with ill-concealed dubiety and suspicion of bamboozlement. At precisely six o'clock, he materializes, a short, golden, barrelly man dressed in a sleeveless robe of saffron and maroon. His scalp is shaven, and the only visible hair is a scanty black line above each hooded eye. He bows in greeting while his young interpreter makes the introduction. Yeshi Dondon, we are told, will examine a patient selected by a member of the staff. The diagnosis is as unknown to Yeshi Dondon as it is to us. The examination of the patient will take place in our presence, after which we will reconvene in the conference room where Yeshi Dondon will discuss the case. We are further informed that for the past two hours, Yeshi Dondon has purified himself by bathing, fasting, and prayer. I, having breakfasted well, performed only the most desultory of ablutions and given no thought at all to my soul, glance furtively at my fellows. Suddenly we seem a soiled, uncouth lot. <laughs> the patient had been awakened early and told that she was to be examined by a foreign doctor and been, had been asked to produce a fresh specimen of urine. So when we enter her room, the woman shows no surprise. She has long gone on, taken, long ago, taken on that mixture of compliance and resignation that is the face of chronic illness. This was to be another in the endless series of tests and examinations. Yeshi Dondon steps to the bedside while the rest stand apart, watching. For a long time, he gazes at the woman, favoring no part of her body with his eyes, but seeming to fix his glance at a place just above her supine form. I, too, study her. No physical sign nor obvious symptom gives a clue to the nature of her disease. At last he takes her hand, raising it in both of his own. Now he bends over the bed in a kind of crouching stance, his head drawn down into the collar of his robe. His eyes are closed as he feels for her pulse. In a moment he has found the spot, and for the next half hour he remains thus, suspended above the patient like some exotic golden bird with folded wings, holding the pulse of the woman beneath his fingers, cradling her hand in his. All the power of the man seems to have been drawn down into this one purpose. It is palpitation of the pulse raised to the state of ritual. From the foot of the bed where I stand, it is as though he and the patient have entered a very special place of isolation, of apartness, about which a vacancy hovers and across which no violation is possible. After a moment, the woman rests back upon her pillow. From time to time, she raises her head to look at the strange figure above her, then sinks back once more. I cannot see their hands joined in a correspondence that is exclusive intimate, his fingertips receiving the voice of her sick body through the rhythm and throb she offers at her wrist. All at once I am envious, not of him, not of Yeshi Dondon for his gift of beauty and holiness, but of her. I want to be held like that, touched so, received. And I know that I who have palpitated a hundred thousand pulses have not felt a single one. At last, Yeshi Dondon straightens, gently placing the woman's hand on the bed and steps back. The interpreter produces a small wooden bowl and two sticks. Yeshi Dondon pours a portion of the urine specimen into the bowl, proceeds to whip the liquid with the two sticks. This he does for several minutes until a foam is raised, then bowing above the bowl, he inhales the odor three times. He sets down the bowl and turns to leave. All this while he has not uttered a single word. As he nears the door, the woman raises her head and calls out to him in a voice at once urgent and serene. Thank you, doctor. She says, and touches with her other hand the place he had held on her wrist as though to recapture something that had visited there. 
Yeshi Dondon turns back for a moment to gaze at her, then steps into the corridor. Rounds are at an end. We are seated once more in the conference room. Yeshi Dondon speaks now for the first time in soft Tibetan sounds that I have never heard before. He has barely begun when the young interpreter begins to translate, the two voices continuing in tandem, a bilingual fugue, the one chasing the other. It is like the chanting of monks. He speaks of winds coursing through the body of the woman, currents that break against barriers, eddying. These vortices are in her blood, he says, the last spendings of an imperfect heart. Between the chambers of her heart, long, long before she was born, a wind had come and blown open a deep gate that must never be opened. Through it charged the full waters of her river as the mountain stream cascades in the springtime, battering, knocking loose the land and flooding her breath. Thus he speaks and is silent. May we now have the diagnosis, a professor asks. The hosts of these rounds, the man who knows, answers. Congenital heart disease, he says. Interventricular septal defect with resultant heart failure. A gateway in the heart, I think, that must not be opened. Through it charge the full waters that flood her breath. So, here then is the doctor listening to the sounds of the body <clears throat> to which the rest of us are deaf. He is more than doctor, he is priest. Now and then it happens as I make my own rounds that I hear the sounds of his voice like an ancient Buddhist prayer, its meaning long since forgotten. Only the music remains. Then a jubilation possesses me and I feel myself touched by something divine. To use relationship as a vehicle for freedom means to listen. To listen to you at all your levels and to listen to the other being or beings at all of their levels. And then for the relationship to remain as spirit, as living, living spirit, one of the best ingredients to put into the stew is truth. Gandhi spent his life in what he called experiments in truth, in learning how to just be straight with people. For a long time I thought truth had to mean only words, but it doesn't, of course. There are truths that are only communicated in silence. And you have to know when to use words and when to use silence. Because the true, the absolute truth is of course silent. I mean, there are words, but they are all silence. It's the word coming out of the silence. In the beginning is the word. And sometimes as you're with somebody else, there is silence, and you feel that your silence is paranoid silence. And then probably words would be useful. There are other times where you experience your silence as cosmic silence. And then words are incredibly heavy, even the most poetic of them. Careful not to mask one as the other. We do that all the time.
Silence is a luxury we can afford when we are really safe, really rooted in the fourth chakra. As this method starts to work in you, the reason for being with people starts to change. And as the reason for being with people starts to change, some people disappear off the stage of your particular melodrama. Those are called acquired karma, like friends. You have a bowling league, we play bowl, we bowl together. Now I don't want to bowl anymore. And there's really no reason for us to be together. Would be strained to try to hang out with your old bowling partner. And your who you want to be with changes. And sometimes it's not easy. Zuvan Shimon Halevi, Chassid. The result of this work is that the person often undergoes a change of personality that his old friends and family find difficult to recognize. Occasionally they become hostile to him or her for he or she no longer plays their psychological games. Sometimes the transformation is so great that relationships of long standing are split and jobs with great promise or security are discarded. The early lives of many saints illustrate this well. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10. You are looking for God, for Maharaji, for Krishna, for Christ, for Allah, for whatever form of your beloved, you're looking everywhere. Kabir, since the day when I met with my Lord, there has been no end to the sport of our love. I see with eyes open and smile and behold his beauty everywhere. I utter his name and whatever I see it reminds me of him. Whatever I do it becomes his worship. Wherever I go I move round him. All I achieve is his service. When I lie down I lie prostrate at his feet. Whether I rise or sit down I can never forget him. For the rhythm of his music beats in my ears. The ultimate way of relationship is between the devotee and the form of the formless that is the one that opens the heart of the devotee. After Yukteswar left his body, Yogananda met him in a Bombay hotel room. And he said, Guruji, what's it like out there? And Yukteswar told him all about these fruits made of light and all this kind of groovy stuff on these different planes, which you can read for yourself in Autobiography of a Yogi. But then Yukteswar and Yogananda says, well, what are you doing these days? Yukteswar says, well, I'm teaching on the fourth level, which is the level before you go from form into formless. And he says, uh, and it's interesting, when there's a graduation, 
we hold a big party, which that thought kind of brought me down a little bit, but I'll take what comes. I'm sure he meant a different thing by party. It's just satsang. We held a big party, and God comes to the party dressed in whatever form the devotee liked most. You can see God with a whole closet, you know. I, it's Zoroaster tonight, you know. Puts on his Zoroaster costume. man wrote me a letter recently and he said, um, I saw you in Victoria and I must say, Ramdas, whatever you had, you lost. Um, it was a distinct disappointment. You're trite, your stories are really dead, and everybody looked hysterical that was around you. And he sent me his new book, which was called um, Sutras on Enlightenment. And um, some of them were pretty good. And this one particularly. I've been carrying on a correspondence with him now. I always love people that, you know, it shows you your stuff. If you get into, he shouldn't have done that, you know. I thought it was a good evening, you know, that kind of thing. He's got you. But this sutra said, it is perceiving within relationship. Enlightenment is perceiving within relationship the possibility of a dance of the most glorious beauty and perfection an aesthetic of feeling that surpasses every form of art, every achievement in civilization. It is seeing relationship as the sphere within which the personal intelligence of God can manifest most abundantly, most subtly, most powerfully. Do you see what hooks us? I mean, another human consciousness is all those levels, is all those chakras, is God speaking to you and you are meeting this other being. It's much easier to do the process. It's much more exciting and stimulating than to say, make love with this microphone, which is also God, by the way. The ultimate in a relationship is the meeting open on every chakra, on every plane. It is not putting away this or that. It's all of it, all here, every moment. And it's living on each of those planes with integrity, which is really scary. Because it means honoring that plane and at the same moment not denying the other planes. It's like in um, Miracle of Love, there is a section called um, Krishna Play. And in this section, I talk about Maharaji's relationship with some of the women devotees around him. And at times, when he brought them into a room and closed the doors, it got very far out. It got into what people could easily say, oh, just another one of those dirty old men. Maybe he was. Or maybe it was a vehicle to liberate. Or maybe that's his humanness. Or maybe, 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 who knows? It's just the act. But I was with an Indian man, a beautiful Indian man who teaches physics up in the Northwest about three days ago up in Eugene, Oregon. And we were just in love. It was just such a beauty. He was a beautiful being. And he said, you know, when I read Miracle of Love, when I came to the chapter on Krishna play, I had to put the book down. I couldn't read it for three days. I couldn't stand finding that out about this being. And he said, I knew it was my problem, but it still took me three days to get through it. Because it's so easy to compartmental in our li compartmentalize our lives. This is divine. This is profane in relationship. You do this, but that's dirty. That's perverse.
But if you're really open to it, you not only get Brahma that creates and Vishnu that preserves, but Shiva that just changes it and freaks it and destroys it. And it's never the way you see it. It's, you think it is. It's always changing, always changing. And how do you be truthful within a sea of change? Just remember that line of Gandhi's that we talked about. When Gandhi said, my commitment is to truth, not to consistency. I only know relative truth. It changes every day. My commitment is to truth, not to consistency. That if you are in a relationship in which you say, oh, I know who so-and-so is. I can count on you being this way. Forget it. It's very pleasant and very lovely and very caring and very kind but it is not being the most active vehicle for you at that moment as a vehicle for awakening, if you're going to use it that way. The predicament with using a relationship, like a personal relationship, as a vehicle for awakening is that you've got to keep it on the front burner. And it always has that fine line between cosmos and chaos. It's always, the shit is always about to hit the fan. It can, a moment later, you can just have one moment of, oh, aren't we? Oh, I love you. Oh, I love you. Oh, it's wonderful. And then a moment later, there's more karma floating around. It's like high wire walking. It's much easier to worship some abstract picture. You know, finally Maharaji's dead. Well, <laughs> that's over. Now I can really worship him. He's not going to screw up my life anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Don't think I didn't think that and had to live with the horror of that. Because that part of you that's open up here wants to get done, but the part of you down here wants to hold on to every bit of power you got. And in every relationship, you're going to see all of that vivid in cinechrome or whatever it is. This I got from Bhagwan Das. It was written, it's a, po a poem written about a Norman crucifix of 1632. But it so conveys what we're talking about right now. I am the great sun, but you do not see me. I am your husband, but you turn away. I am the captive, but you do not free me. I am the captain, you will not obey. I am the truth, but you will not believe me. I am the city where you will not stay. I am your wife, your child, but you will leave me. I am that God to whom you will not pray. I am your counsel, but you do not hear me. I am the lover whom you will betray. I am the victor, but you do not cheer me. I am the holy dove whom you will slay. I am your life, but if you will not name me, acknowledge me, Seal up your soul with tears and never blame me. At this moment, next to you on left and right, behind you and in front of you. It's 
sits the Divine Mother, sits Shiva, Krishna, Christ, the Buddha, Allah. Everybody you know, you see, you remember, you will meet is another face of God. It's another doorway through. It's another way that God has come to you to awaken your attachments, clingings, to bring them to the forefront to allow you to see through them. And as Sri Radha, be so in love that the love veil, the love prevents the veil from coming between you and the beloved. When this journey has wended its way, you finally become like Hanuman who kneels at the foot of Ram. And Ram, in love of Hanuman, tries to raise Hanuman to sit beside him, at which point Hanuman would merge into Ram. But Hanuman makes himself so hard that Ram cannot lift him. So heavy. Because he wants to stay separate in order to remain with the beloved. Finally, we play right at the fine line between becoming the beloved and standing back one pace, one breath into the Martin Buber's I Thou. And then the breath changes and we merge once again and then in the next breath, here we are. It's the two and the one in a delicate, delicate play of love. It's the whispering of pillow talk between lover and beloved. There is no name for God. There is merely a face, a body, a label that will open your heart. And finally you will become so intimate that all of the methods of name and form will fall away. I remember once being in Kosani in India and doing a five-day fast and meditation. And in the room I had many pictures of Maharaji and Christ and Ramana Maharshi and so on. And then as the evening, as the days wore on, they all turned into just kind of pictures, kind of flat pictures. And so I gathered them all up and put them away and just sat in the bare room. And then I felt Maharaji's presence I just experience it's like in a dark room when you know somebody's in there sitting there. You can't see him, but I just felt him. And I talked to him, and I just felt this really intimate feeling with him. Then I felt the next day as if he was standing behind my left ear. It was like if I just turned fast enough, I'd see him there. Just that feeling. 
And then the next day, I remember feeling bereaved because Maharaji had left me. I didn't feel him anymore. But when I finished with my whole soap opera and just quieted down, I experienced a new feeling in my heart. And I knew that then he was too close to experience. When I came out of that meditation, started to eat again, was with people very, very slowly, moved out again until there were the pictures. You can't freak about that. These are just changing levels as karma unfolds. You're constantly working with the forms, working with the formless, realizing that God, Guru, and Self are one. And at the same moment, I love God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, all thy strength, all thy wisdom. What an incredible vehicle for us to use. Yeah, I know you've had enough. That's us. That's us. I just say, just one more quick thing, because I'm right at the edge of just a place where... Okay. Ah. Ah, we're with you. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh. Ah. Oh. Maharaji said to me, you don't have to change anybody, you just have to love them. In relationships, when the other person doesn't fit into your model of how heaven would be, you don't have to play God. You just have to love individual differences, appreciate them the way they are. Because love is the most powerful medicine. But you're not even doing it manipulatively. I'll love you, now change. You're looking at another being just the way they are and saying, let me appreciate God's perfection. You lost the key? Great. Yeah. You forgot to pick up the laundry? Right. Yeah. Yeah. If each of us is separate, and yet each of us is part of the whole. But we got lost a little bit into dualism and we're finding our way back out. Every time we are in the presence of unconditional love, we remember. And when we remember, we open. And when we open, the light pours through us. If you became a person who could love unconditionally, everybody you loved would flower before your very eyes. KABU is a proud co-sponsor of the Portland Folk Music Society 2019-20 concert season. Kate Lee and Forrest O'Connor kick off 
2020 on Friday, January 17th. They are co-lead singers and primary songwriters for the Grammy Award-winning O'Connor Band. That's Kate Lee and Forrest O'Connor, Friday, January 17th at 7.30 p.m., doors at 7, at the Reedwood Friends Church, 2901 Southeast Steel Street in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. Proud co-sponsor of Not So Supernova on Saturday, January 18th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. at the All Saints Episcopal Church in Portland. Not So Supernova is a full-length one-woman play exploring the edges of motherhood and marriage with humor and depth. Again, that's Not So Supernova on Saturday, January 18th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. at the All Saints Episcopal Church, 4033 Southeast Woodstock Boulevard in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. 